Time marches on and leaves behind those who are not equipped for tomorrow. We cannot predict what will happen in the future, but we at Regent University aim to prepare you for it. With world-class professors and over 150 programs, the opportunities to find success in your field are many. So don't let tomorrow pass you by. The journey to your brightest future begins here. Visit regent.edu slash learn more. Welcome to this 820 AM The Word broadcast special, Heart of the City. Pastors, ministry leaders, and churches have received a call to serve their communities with the love and compassion of Christ. The call is from God's heart to the heart of the city. This is Heart of the City. I'm Chuck Olmstead, the Director of Local Ministry Development for 820 AM The Word. I have a special guest with me today. His name is Pastor Harvey Drake. And he's the pastor of Emerald City Bible Fellowship and founder and president of Urban Impact. Harvey, welcome to Heart of the City. Hey, thanks, Chuck. Good to be here with you. Well, I always laugh. Uh, when we see each other, usually there's food involved, right? <laughs> <laughs> you and I get to go to a lot of various banquets and fundraisers and, and uh, all and events, and usually it's pastors eating. We sure do. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but today uh, you get to be in studio and help share your story, which I love to hear because I'm always amazed at how God works in people's lives and the right. uniqueness of, of God's calling in people's lives. And uh, I want to hear your story today. So, uh, And our listeners, are, I know, are looking forward to it as well. So let's start at the beginning. Are you a, are you a Northwest uh, guy? Or are you from this area? Or where were you born? Well, Chuck, I uh, was born and raised in San Francisco. And I often say facetiously, uh, that I was banished to Seattle. <laughs> I had never dreamed of living more than 40 miles from the city of San Francisco. And uh, here I am 800 miles away. And yeah. I thought, oh, I, I'll be in Seattle three to five years. And here I am 35 years Whoa. later. Whoa. So. so does that, are you still a 49ers Raiders guy? Or have you kind of transferred over to Pete Carroll and his never friends? Never a Raiders fan. Yeah. 49ers fan is my second team. I am a true diehard Seahawk. Oh, Fan, fan, fan. And my sons grew up here, even though they were born in the Bay Area. So when they talk home, they talk Seattle. I talk home. I'm always looking down south to the city. But we all love the Seahawks. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think they're going to have a good year this year. It's Uh, looking that way. You bet. You bet. Well, so grew up uh, near San Francisco. Uh, What was life uh, like for you as a young man in in that area? Well, Chuck, life started kind of interesting for me. I was actually born crippled. I was born with a club foot, and uh, uh, the technology they had then, uh, they were able to kind of straighten my foot out, and after a couple of operations, it uh, worked normally, and it all happened before I started school. Mm -hmm. So that's how life got started for me. I grew up in a single-parent home. Uh, My mom and dad separated when I was seven years old, and boy, did I start missing those apple pancakes. My dad used to make those for us every single Saturday. Uh, but then they separated, and so I lived with mom uh, the rest of my life, basically, till I moved out and got married myself. And my father was severely alcoholic. My mom turned out to be a drug addict. We did not have much church experience. I do, however, remember going to church, a little small Baptist church, when I was probably five, six years old. Hmm. I have one picture in my mind of my father holding my baby sister, who was still in diapers then, 
once, and he never ever went back to church since that time. Nor did my mom. And so I kind of grew what up. What do you think motivated them to to go? Do you do, you, have, do you ever know? I have no idea. We, we didn't talk about it. Yeah. I remember on our coffee table in our little uh, pr- uh, apartment in our project, having this this big Bible on the coffee table, and uh, it it had a picture of a white guy on it. <laughs> but we never opened it. We never read it. We never talked to it. It never talked to us. And every now and then, if somebody got married, well, that was rare, or somebody died, my mom would write in it. But I didn't know what it was about. Later on, I discovered it was a holy Bible. Uh, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Just kind of odd. So so there I was. But I do remember when my mother stopped going, I was young, and I would get rides to church by myself. Hmm. And I was somewhere around six or seven years of age, I believe. Uh-huh. And then we, we moved and we never went again. And then, and then when I was nine, uh, this this Baptist preacher used to bring his station wagon up to where we lived and pick us up and he started taking us to church. So again, all by myself, nobody else in my family started going to this little church. And at nine, I was in a quartet. There were, we were eight, nine, and the oldest guy was 10. And believe me, we, we sang in four-part harmony. Really? And it was just this incredible experience. And then somewhere around nine or so, I stopped going again and never, ever went back. And my mom never went back. My dad didn't go back. And there we were. We just kind of lived crazy lives. So, again, my dad was severely alcoholic and was very abusive to mom. My mom ended up uh, being a lady of the night. She was a prostitute. Hmm. She was human trafficked. And then she ended up uh, as a heroin addict. And I remember my how did teen she fu- years. How did she function during that time? I mean, was she yeah. st- was she a good mom, or was it I was doing the best she could? Yeah. Or my mother loved us without any doubt whatsoever. But she got to a point she was overwhelmed by uh, her addiction uh-huh. that she could not do for us what we really needed. Huh. And I remember being at home alone at age ten, taking care of my sister nine, eight, seven, and five. Wow. And it was just this, because she would leave on weekends, uh, leave on Friday, and we wouldn't see her until Sunday night. And that's when I learned something's going on. Where's she going every weekend? And uh, so I ended up having to do a lot of, uh, a lot of take on, taking on, I should say, a lot of responsibility for my younger sisters and yeah. myself. So you cooked, you kind of kept the kids in order and I did and <laughs> wow I, I, I made sugar sandwiches <laughs> peanut butter <laughs> jelly sandwiches a lot of uh we we in those days we would put butter and sugar and toast it and then I learned to make a, a good a good batch of cornmeal mush wow yeah I really did <laughs> <laughs> but you can never convince me that she did not love us I think she was just caught up and couldn't 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 do some basic things that she did but what she did teach us was was to love each other and to respect our elders. Huh. And uh, if she were alive, she would tell you I never said a cross word to her. O- of course, she had a pretty strong right cross, too. That <laughs> 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 in those days, yeah. <laughs> they weren't afraid to use. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> yeah. So what, what happens then in your teenage years? Well, so in my teen years is when I really discovered she was a heroin addict. I was in high school, and she would always have this traffic coming in, and they were just really strange and odd. And uh, and I remember hearing her cry one day because she would always they would always go in a bedroom they would always shut the door, and I heard her crying one day for something, hmm. and she was crying for more drugs. And then I looked in the toilet one day and I saw 
some of the paraphernalia. Mm -hmm. And that's when it hit me. I think mom is messed up on drugs. Wow. And at that point, for the first time in my life, I did get a little ugly with some of her friends because when they would come around, I would not let them in. Interesting. I would not. You were starting to try to protect her. I was trying to protect my mother. And uh, so, uh, so when I get to my junior year in high school, my grandmother literally moved us from San Francisco, 80 miles east of Stockton, where we, uh, where my my mom's entire family grew up. Mm-hmm. And she said, "I got to take care of my baby." My mother was the oldest of eight, so my grandmother got us, moved us from San Francisco to Stockton, and so I finished my. My high school year at the family high school there in Stockton, California, and so mom got got well. She, was she was she still living there yes. with your yeah. grandmother yes. with her mother? She and had all of us there. Interesting. At, by that time, there were five of us, five children, uh-huh. and we moved in with my grandmother. The five of us with my grandmother and four aunts and uncles. Hmm. So we we had a pretty crowded crowded house. But she was and, she and you was, had a bunch of adults that were looking after you. I mean. Well, my, you know, my great aunt lived across the bay from us. She lived in San Francisco. Whenever my mother got in trouble, they would always come. And when I would look through our little peephole when somebody knocked on the door, when it was my aunt and uncle, I knew then that mom was in trouble. Mm. And so they always got us. And so I think my aunt convinced my grandmother that she needed to do something. So that's when my grandmother yeah. came and got us and moved us. And so uh, <laughs> that, and that started a whole new era for us. Like I said, mom started to get better. So I finished high school, started college, went into the military. While I was in the military, she relapsed. Mm. So I came out of the military to try to help her. And uh, What and she, year was that, Harvey? That was in 1974. Mm-hmm. 1974. And, uh, and uh, she actually passed away as a drug addict in 1976, one year before my wife and I married. So she was young, thirty nine years old, had just turned thirty nine. And so your yeah. your siblings were still were they teenagers? Teenagers. Uh, My youngest brother was seven. Uh huh. And uh, the rest of us were teens. I was at that time. I was twenty one. Uh huh. Twenty, nineteen. Youngest sister was seventeen, oh, and then my, my seven year old brother. So she she died of an overdose. Well, she didn't necessarily die of the overdose. She died because she overwhelmed her heart because of her drug addiction. Mm-hmm. So they called it uh, cardiac arrest, mm-hmm. but it was because she was just overwhelmed yeah. by the drug addiction. Yeah. And it was interesting because my youngest brother would go to school, and he would say to the authorities, the schools, my mom you know, does this, and he would pump his arm like because he watched her wow. put the drugs in her vein. Yeah. And interestingly enough, they never came to the house. CPS. Never did a welfare check, a child no, welfare, Never nothing. did anything. But I was fortunate enough to see her one week before she passed away. I had no idea that would be the last time I would see her alive. But uh, that was right after I made a personal commitment to Jesus myself. Hmm. So by that time, I had, had, I, I had learned enough about Jesus, who Jesus was, what God wanted of me as a person, I learned that I was living one way. He wanted me to live another way. And when I came out of the Army is when I said, okay, God, I need to get things right with you. Hmm. And literally for years, I was the only person in my family that walked with Jesus. So uh, let's step back then sure. a little bit. How did, how, did you, uh, how did that engagement happen as far as your uh, relationship with the Lord? What happened in your life? Well, well I told you that, that I was in the singing group when I was nine. Right. In junior high, I was in another singing group, and we competed in contests and talent shows at school. 
And I was practicing one day with our group, and this guy came up to where we lived. Another, I lived in Hunters Point, which is a housing project. And he was always in a suit and tie, and it was always on Sunday. I said, who is this dude in the suit and tie? And one of the guys in the group said, oh, that's our cousin. Your cousin? He said, yeah, he goes to our grandfather's church. And my friend never, ever went to his grandfather's church. I didn't even know his grandfather was a pastor. Mm-hmm. So this, this guy and I became really good friends. And I say out of the blue, I said to him one day, hey, let's go check out your grandfather's church. And so one Sunday night, I went to church with this guy. And that's when God started planting seeds in me about what the gospel was, who Jesus was, what it meant to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, what the Word of God was. And for a couple years, I kept going off and on, again, by myself. And uh, when I was a junior, I made a commitment to Jesus, I believe. Uh, But when I became a senior, because of the religious order I was a part of, they didn't want you to go to dances and Mm -hmm. all that stuff. And so I literally, I walked away from it, right? Now, the crazy thing is that when I walked away, I started doing more drugs than I had done before. My mom was a drug addict. First time I ever smoked marijuana was with my mother. I snorted heroin with my mother. I drank with my mother. And uh, I had, had gotten away from all of that in my junior year. But when I walked away, I started doing it again. And I started doing acid and opium and mescaline. I would never, I would never mainline heroin, but I always snorted heroin. Mm. And I was doing that in combination with sleeping pills and alcohol. And I was kind of become a, a little looney tune. Uh, but, but, but when I came out of the service, this woman invited me to church. Because, again, I'm in these groups. I'm singing. High school, I'm in a group. And I, when I mo- moved to live with my grandmother, I was in this little church. And it let me direct the choir because I had some music chops. Right. And I wasn't really following Jesus then. I was just open to the idea. But when I came out of the army, this woman invited me to church. And out of respect, I went. I sat in the back row on the corner, never said a word at all. And they went through all their things that they do in in a worship service. And it was the kind of church, Chuck, that when they knew you weren't right, they would call you out. (laughs) So they said, Brother Harvey, come on up here and let us pray for you. Uh (laughs) (laughs) And so out of respect, I walked up to the front in this church. Uh-huh. And they laid hands on me, and they shook my head. In fact, my neck still, still hurts. You got an adjustment. They, they shook me so hard. <laughs> and when it was over, Chuck, I simply said to them, I know this is right, but I have no desire to live this right now. And I went back to my seat. And so this woman who invited me to church took me home. And I don't, I don't remember us talking much after that. Right. But that thought haunted me. God, I know it's right to live for you but I have no desire whatsoever. And I remember saying this. I don't think I'll ever forget it. I said, God, I know it's right to live for you, but I have no desire. Please give me the mind. And then I kept doing all my devilment. I kept smoking dope and kept doing this stuff. And about two, three weeks later, I was at home in my non-Christian home all by myself. And the Holy Spirit just came over me. Chuck and I had this overwhelming sense of grief and I was in sorrow, and I just started repenting. I said, God, forgive me. I know it's right to live for you. You love me. You gave yourself for me. And I asked him into my life that morning. I said, would you please come back into my mm. heart and fix me and heal me and deliver me? Mm-hmm. And I was just boohooing like a baby. I was crying. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. And, again, nobody's home except me. Right. <laughs> and so I get up off of my knees, and I'm sitting there, and my good friend comes by, and he says, come on, man, let's go get us some women and some dope. 
And I looked at him, Chuck, and said, I can't do that anymore. He said, what do you mean, man? I said, I just committed my life to Jesus, man. I just got saved. He said, saved? No, I think you just backslid. You were saved already. I said, no, I was not saved, bro. I went to church, but I was not saved. And he drove off. I can still see the car pulling off now because I would not go with it. Right. And from that day until now, I've been doing my level best to love God and to love people and to give him my absolute best. And there's nothing I enjoy more than worshiping God and telling people about Jesus. Wow. So that's the short that's the short version. That's the short version, but it's a great yeah. it's a great version of Harvey. We're talking to Harvey Drake. He's the senior pastor at Emerald City Bible Fellowship. So you're 20-some years old, 21, 22, something like that? At that time, I'm 21, 21 years old. Something like that. Yeah. So what happens next? You actually, meet, you meet actually, a girl. I'm actually, I'm actually 20, when I, 20 when I committed to Jesus. And then, then I meet this uh, nice young lady. <laughs> She's a piano player, and I'm a singer, too. Oh, my. So it was um, marriage made in heaven, right? Yeah. A marriage made in heaven. And uh, we started dating. At that time, I moved back to San Francisco. I was said, she a church girl? She was a church girl. Uh-huh. Now, she, she's been walking with Jesus since she was about eight. Mm-hmm. And my wife today is a woman who loves God, loves people. She's a giver. She's strong. She's an encourager. And she just has this gift of just blessing people. She's an incredible woman. God knew what I needed, right? Right. So we started dating. And uh, so we dated through church. And we dated through a contemporary gospel group. Here I am again, singing in a group, man. Mm-hmm. And so in that era, we opened concerts for people like uh, Andre Crouch, oh. Daniel Amos, oh Messenger, Randy Stonehill, oh Edwin and, and uh, Tremaine Hawkins, Walter Hawkins, Daryl Coley. Those were some of the big names in gospel in that day. And so we, we, we would rehearse on Mondays and, and sing on weekends. And it was just oh a my. real, real delight. And I did that until I was called into vocational ministry with Youth for Christ. And I was uh, called to uh, pioneer the urban ministry component for them in the city of Oakland. So I left my home city of San Francisco and moved across the bay to Oakland, California. How did, how did God call you? I always like to hear that. What, what was going on in your head? Well, you know, um, again, like I said, when I made a commitment to Jesus, I made a real commitment. So I started going to all these Bible studies. I'd be sometimes the only young person, 20 years old, 21, in a Bible study with 50 and 60-year-olds. Because mm-hmm. I said, God, I need to get as much of you as I can, and I need to learn as much as I can. So I started hanging out with the people who want to study the Bible. And in that process, as I was learning Scripture and learning to memorize Scripture, I never will forget, uh, on, on the way to work on the bus, I'd be reading my scripture. On my lunch break, I'd be reading the scripture. And one day, the, the scripture just said, I, I want you to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Mm. I thought, oh, okay. And it just just stayed with me. And it, it wouldn't leave me. And, and in those days, I would. I would go out and try to do a little preaching on the street. Or when I'm on the bus, I'm sensitive to who's around me. But I kept hearing this over and over again. And because I was a singer, I thought, oh, okay, I guess I'm going to follow Andre Crouch or Randy Stonehill or somebody, you know what I mean? Uh, uh, Leon Patilla was a big fan of our groups and said, man, you guys just need to go. You have what it takes. And uh, But that wasn't it. And I learned about this thing called Youth for Christ. And I just had this desire to just love God and love people. I never wanted to be a pastor or preacher. I just wanted to be a solid believer who told people about this 
this God that I discovered or discovered me mm-hmm. and called me and had a wonderful uh, plan for our lives, if I can use that phrase. And it just started from there. And so my pastor then recognized that I had some kind of call and spiritual gifts. He said, have you ever thought about going into ministry full time? I thought, uh-uh, I hadn't. <laughs> and when I did, it was always in the realm of music. I thought, okay, yeah, maybe, maybe so. Yeah. And one day I got a call from my pastor. He said, I just want you and your wife, Andrea, to pray. Don't make any decisions. Just pray about if you'd be open to entertaining the opportunity of joining a group called Youth for Christ and going into ministry with them. I didn't know much about Youth for Christ. He said, just pray. And so we did. And after we prayed, we said, uh, Pastor, I think we're open to the idea. What is it? <laughs> Literally. Yeah. Because I'd only heard of Youth of Christ a year before this call came. Mm-hmm. And so we got into it, and I started learning about their ministry to teenagers. And I thought, okay, I guess we'll do that. So make the long story short, I was selected to go into Oakland, California, and start a brand-new work. Uh, because Youth for Christ at that time was a donut around the city. They were in the suburbs, uh-huh. but not in the city itself. So I was like their first person of color to go out and do some ministry. There. Yeah, yeah. And that's how it all began. So I did that five years. And then I uh, got a call from Seattle. One of my friends said, hey, would you come to Seattle and lead Young Life in Rainier Valley in the Central District? I thought, Seattle? I'd only been to Seattle twice. I flew in, flew out, mm-hmm. came up to speak for a youth camp. You know, I didn't know Seattle, but you know, we prayed. And my wife is the type of person, she said, we're going to pray. And if she senses that God is leading us, she'll say, babe, I think this is what God wants. And she said to me, you know, maybe God wants us in Seattle. And we're going, but we don't know anybody in Seattle except this one person. And to make the long story short, uh, we came. But I came with this three-year window in mind. Mm-hmm. I'm to Seattle, <laughs> do Young Life, three to five years, then we're going back. Yeah. But uh, that didn't happen about, uh, see, that was 80, 84. That was 84 when we came up. We had two young boys in tow, two and four. And uh, while we were here is when we encountered John Perkins, Dr. John Perkins, and the Christian Community Development Movement. And that became the inspiration for Urban Impact and what we're doing in Emerald City Bible Fellowship. Yeah. Well, you know, Harvey, uh, we've got about two minutes left. And if it's okay with you, we're going to extend this conversation on to next week, if that's okay, if you've got time. Sure. Because I I really want to hear how the Lord, you know, brought you into uh, through uh, Urban Impact and Mm -hmm. and Emerald City and and what you're currently doing now. But... uh, to wrap up this segment, I'd just love for you to go back and, and just uh, share with our listeners here for, for another couple minutes about if someone's sensing that the Lord's mm-hmm. calling them, what would you say to them or, uh, about your own personal call and how they can relate that to their own lives? Yeah. Chuck, I'm the kind of, kind of person who never wanted to be in the limelight at all. I'm very comfortable supporting people, encouraging others. And if people are sensing a call, for me, it's a call to uh, support and to encourage. To me, the best leaders are those who lead from underneath because the Bible never gives us permission to lord over people. And so I tell my staff, my job is to ensure that you have the resources you need to be the best you that you can be 
so your ministry can be vibrant and strong. So if a person is sensing a call, I would trust that they would pray and seek God and ask God to give them the grace to lift others, to build others, right? Now, God gives us capacity and opportunity to lead, but we do it with a servant's heart. And if a person wants to go into ministry, I'd say, hey, pray first about asking God to make you a servant because that's what leaders should be. Jesus said he came not to be served, but to serve. serve. Yeah. So so that's where it started for me because, again, I had no desire to be up front about anything. I keep asking God, why do you keep putting me up front? You know what I mean? And uh, when I do ask that question, it's always coming back as because I want you to build and bolster others, bless others, encourage others, help others. We've been listening to Pastor Harvey Drake. He's the senior pastor at Emerald City Bible Fellowship and also the president of Urban Impact. If you want to reach out to Harvey, you can go to emeraldcitybible.org. Harvey, thanks for joining me today on Heart of the City. Good to be here. Thanks. been listening to this 820 AM, the word special heart of the city. For more information on how your pastor or your ministry can be featured on 820 AM, the word call Chuck Olmstead 206-269-6216 or go to thewordseattle.com. Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525.